and then Lord, a number of our people that are struggling during this economic time, a few people that uh, are in need of just the basic necessities of life, I pray that you would supply and meet those needs. And um, then, Father, I pray that you'd help us as we come to your Word tonight to give us guidance and direction. May we understand the truth of your Word, and Lord, you'd give clarity to it. And help us to glorify you in all that we do tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take and turn in our Bibles to the book of Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. We started last week dealing with a very difficult subject for some people and for a lot of ministries and, and churches that have it very confused, and that is on the topic of election and uh, foreknowledge and predestination. And so last week we dealt with the issue of election and how that uh, there were a few things we had to establish at the onset, one of them being that when it comes to understanding Scripture, you can't take just one verse and make a doctrine out of it. You have to make certain that it is in agreement with everything else of Scripture. It cannot conflict. And we, we come to the Bible, we come to those things with that mindset. Uh, over and over, uh, the very nature of the Bible itself lends itself to the idea that man has a free will. On top of that, you add Scripture verses like John 3.16 that says, Whosoever uh, believeth on him. And uh, over and over again, you find uh, the idea, the urgency that Christ gave to his disciples to go out into the uh, fields, for they were white already unto harvest. If God just uh, irresistibly saved whom he chose to do, what would be the need for that? There would be no need. Why would he tell his disciples to go? Would, would there even be any service for a Christian? Would there be anything for us to work and labor at and do? Uh, and over and over again, the Bible talks about the fact that he has, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. And uh, so again, we find there are so many things in Scripture that contradict the idea of irresistible grace. Um, and so we, we dealt with some of that last week. At the very end of the lesson uh, last week, I asked a question then, does God uh, choose who He's going to save and who He's not, or did He, uh, at the, before the foundation of the earth? And I made a statement last week, and I'm going to, we're going to build on that and expound on it and clarify it a little more tonight. And the truth is, He did make a choice. He made it, and the, the fact is, the Bible uses the word, the elect, and in reference to at least six different times in Scripture, he uses the word the elect, which is a noun. It's dealing with people uh, that they are um, uh, referring to those that have trusted him as their savior. Now, the difference between what the Bible teaches and what the Calvinist view would be is the Calvinists say that um, there is a, a unconditional um, uh, saving of men. In other words, man doesn't have a choice in it at all. God picks and chooses, and he, he's like arbitrarily out here. Uh, we come to the Bible, and we find that the Bible does teach that there is a group of people that God said, these are the ones that I will save, and those the ones that he's decided he's going to save are those that of their free will, their choice, uh, have chosen to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've done it of their own free will. Uh, it could be easily said then that God really chose the method that they were using to be saved, and that would probably be a, an easier and probably a more clearly defined concept. But something we have to keep in mind, because we're also going to be dealing tonight with foreknowledge and predestination, is that when it uses the term elect, it is dealing with people, 
And when it's dealing with predestination, it's dealing with um, uh, the, the, the end result or the, the thing that's going to happen to those folks. Uh, rest assured that in every case, even though God made the choice before he ever even created the world, he, the redemptive plan was in place before he created uh, the, the earth and, and the folks that are on it, uh, because the Bible tells us that Christ was as a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. So the whole plan of redemption, the whole understanding of the fall of man uh, in God's heart and in God's mind uh, was already there before he ever created it. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And in order for us to clarify this a little bit more, now we have to deal with the subject of foreknowledge. All right, So we're going to look at foreknowledge. And if time will give us enough tonight, we're going to delve into predestination. And these two are linked. You cannot separate the two. There's something very distinct about them. Uh, and so let's take a look at this. In Romans chapter number 8, and let's look down at verse number 29. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. Paul writes this, And we know, I'm sorry, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And now, I'm going to stop there for just a minute, because the problem that we have, oftentimes in understanding this or not understanding it, is that's about as far as we read. And we say, okay, well, that just means then that God knew, and so He chose some to be saved, some not to be saved. That is not what it's saying here. In fact, let's take a moment to read the rest of it. It says, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate for what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. So follow me for a moment. God knew before He created man that man was going to sin. He put him in the Garden of Eden. He gave him a free will choice. God did not determine for Adam to sin. We're going to see that as we come to this idea of foreknowledge. And all throughout Scripture, God has kept that free will choice of man intact uh, to either choose to obey or to reject. And uh, so when the redemptive plan was made, God said, okay, we're going to, even though Adam and Eve have sinned, I'm going to make a way to redeem them back. But I'm not going to force it on them. I'm going to give them a choice. And those that will choose to put their faith in me, I'll save them. And so keep in mind here that there was a foreknowledge of God. Now, there's going to be one major question that we're going to deal with, and I'll get to it at the very end of this, but I want us to look at, first of all, at what foreknowledge entails. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture, so keep your Bibles handy for a moment. Uh, there are five main things that we need to know about the foreknowledge of God. Um, let me ask you this question. What, how much does God know? He knows everything, doesn't he? All right? But our human minds don't comprehend that statement. <laughs> because what do we mean by everything? All right? So I'm going to look at some passages of Scripture that talk about some things here. Um, let's look in, first of all, Job chapter number 28. And the first thing I'm going to tell you is this, that God knows everything that happens in the universe, not just on earth, but in the universe, everywhere that, that there is that he has created. In fact, the psalmist, and, and I, I would say this, that I believe the foreknowledge of God uh, directly ties with the fact that God is also omniscient. He is everywhere all the time. The psalmist said if he ascended to the heavens, he was there. If he made his bed in hell, he was there. If he went to the uttermost parts of the earth, that God was there, that everywhere the psalmist knew of, God was there. And uh, because of that, I believe, it gives God some foreknowledge in, in a lot of areas, um, or at least some, some knowledge of things in a lot of areas. And uh, let me just, I want to just say this very quickly, that Satan does not have the same abilities. Uh, he is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He doesn't know everything. He isn't everywhere at all, all, all times. 
Um, and I hear so many times people say, well, boy, the devil's really after me. And I understand what we're saying by that, that we're being tempted, we're being put through the trials. But the truth is, Satan's not omnipresent like God is. He can only be one place at one time. And chances are, it could be that he personally is dealing with you in your life. But chances are, it's probably not Satan himself. But it is one of his minions, is one of his, his uh, devils that is uh, impacting your life and trying to, to destroy it. Um, but let's look in Job 28 for a moment. And uh, go down to verse number uh, 24. Job 28 and verse number 24. Uh, let's back up verse 23. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth under the whole heaven. So God sees not just the things here on, on the earth that we see. He sees everything. He, he's, he's there. He knows everything regarding that. Just over a chapter or two in Job 31, let's look in verse number... Uh, let's go to verse number 2, Psalm 31. and ver- we'll, we'll read verse 1. It's a good verse 2. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? For what portion of God is there from above, and what inheritance from the Almighty, of the Almighty from on high? Is not destruction to the wicked, and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? Verse number 4 is the one I want you to see. Doth not he see my ways, and count, what's the next word here? All my steps. I'll tell you, when we begin to see how, how much God is intimately involved and knowledgeable of every aspect of our lives, that's a sobering thought. You know, the reason that there's a lot of uh, fleshly, worldly living going on in the lives of Christians is because we don't live with the conscious thought that God sees it all. If we did, we'd live a lot different than we do. Look with me in uh, Job chapter 34. Job 34, verse number 21. Job 34, verse number 21, For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth, here is that word again, all his goings. Now let's look in Proverbs, chapter number 15. Proverbs, chapter number 15. Verse number 3, Proverbs 15, verse number 3, The eyes of the Lord are in where? Every place, beholding the evil, and the good. Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter 10. And let's look in verse number 29. Matthew chapter number 10, verse number 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Uh, it's amazing that God knows the number of hairs on her head. And that's an amazing thought. God knows everything. I want us to know that not only does He know everything about physical things, but He also knows the thoughts of our heart. God knows them. Let's look in First Chronicles chapter 28 for a moment. First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse number 9. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, 
and understandeth all the imaginations of the thought. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee, uh, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. And we find here that God knows the thoughts of the heart. In fact, I've made this statement many times that the sins of the heart, the sins of the mind, are the most commonly abused sins in the Christian's life because we don't think anybody sees them. And the truth is, God knows our hearts. In fact, Jeremiah 17 teaches us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And yet we find that He is the one that searcheth and trieth the reins of heart. Look with me in Psalm 44. Psalm 44. And let's look in verse number 21. Psalm 44 and verse number 21. Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. He knoweth the secrets of the heart. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4 for a moment. Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so we find that God knows not only everything in the universe, he knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. And up until now, we say, okay, uh, I'll be in agreement with that. God knows everything. But what about foreknowledge? What are we talking about about foreknowledge? Does God know what's going to happen? Well, obviously so. If he made redemption's plan before the foundation of the earth, then obviously he knew beforehand it was going to be needed. But let's look at some scripture here, can we? Uh, let's go to Psalm 139 for a moment. Psalm 139. And uh, let's go to verse number 15, uh, verse, verse 14. Verse 14. Psalm 139, verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. From the moment I was conceived, God already knew. From before that time, God already knew that I was going to be what I was going to be. He knew how I was going to look. He knew what my arms and legs were going to be like. He knew that I was going to be bald and fat and high blood pressure. He knew all of those. Well, maybe the high blood pressure and fat was my doing. But he did know I was going to be bald because that was not my doing. But, uh, but he did know. He knew how we were going to be fashioned. I'm not trying to be silly about this. I want us to understand that's what the Bible teaches. That even before we were brought to, pay, brought to be, when we were born, God already had known these things. Let's look in Isaiah chapter 41. So we find that God doesn't just know everything, but that He knows everything before it happens. Let's look in Psalm 41 in verse number 21. By the way, this, we're going to take some time on this night because this is foundational to both the subject of predestination and the subject of God hardening the hearts, which Lord willing will deal with next Wednesday night. Uh, so Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 21. 
Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons. Uh, let's see, did I write the wrong word? No, oh, we're okay. Uh, produce your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things, what they, shall, what they be, and that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us uh, things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed, and behold, it goeth together. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught, and abomination is he that chooseth you. And so again, we find that God, according to verse number 22, has the ability to show the things that are to be hereafter, things that have not yet happened. Uh, that's the, the, the third thing. The fourth thing I want you to know is God even knows the what-ifs. <laughs> what if something had been different? Would he know what, what would have happened in that case? Well, there's a few instances of that. Uh, look with me in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And once again, this lends itself to the fact that man has a free will. So uh, understand that there is a foreknowledge that God has. Of all time. He knows what's going to happen. He can give us prophetically the things and the events that will happen. There is some sovereign plan of God that he has in place that man cannot change. From the history of man over the broad view of the, high, high line, the, the overall line, timeline of humanity, he knows that there's going to be this thing that happens and he makes sure, and the Bible even says that he has used even unsaved people to accomplish his purposes. He hardened Pharaoh's heart for the sole purpose of bringing about something that he needed to happen in his plan of things. But that does not mean that he predetermines every little nuance and aspect of our lives. He gives us free will in those matters. And sometimes uh, we choose one way, sometimes we choose another. Now, this is the mind-boggling thing for us. God already knows what we're going to choose. And if you've ever sat there and thought, I wonder what God thinks I'm going to choose. I would normally choose this, so that must be what he's expecting. So I'm going to change it. I'm going to do this. God already knew you were going to think that thought. And so it's hard to say that as, as a human that we understand that fact, but he knows. He already knows. He even knows the, the difference if something had gone differently than what he already knew it to be. Because it tells us in Matthew chapter 11, and let's look in verse number 21, the Bible says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, and woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. God knew that even if that had happened, that that was going to be the outcome of it. So, understanding that, that God's knowledge and foreknowledge, and the best way I can say it is this, is beyond what our minds can comp comprehend and understand, but it is absolutely there. Now, the question comes up, what does God do with His foreknowledge? And here's where we differ. Uh, we differ from the Calvinistic viewpoint of things because they say that because God has foreknowledge, He then determines the events that are going to happen. We say that because God has foreknowledge, He knows what's going to happen, and He makes things still work together for His ultimate plan of humanity. Uh, look with me in Romans chapter 8. We're going to come back to where we began. Romans chapter number 8. And we're going to see that Paul teaches this very clearly. Romans chapter number 8. 
And uh, let's go back to verse number 29 for a moment, Romans chapter 8. The Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. But right before he says this, look what verse 28 says. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Man has a free will. We bear the consequences of our own bad decisions. We are not predetermined in every aspect of our lives. We are predetermined that we were going to be born, and we are predetermined that we are going to die, and that's the only predetermining that's going to happen. Other than that, our life is, is free will choice. But God knows what, we're choices, what our choices are going to be. He does not cause, and that's where we differ. Because a Calvinist would say, because God knows you're a robot and He's making you do these things. He's making those circumstances of life come into your life. When the truth is, some of those times, and a lot of those times, those circumstances came because of our free will choice on something. But God is able, and this is what Paul was saying in verse 28, God is able, with His overall plan for humanity, to make all those things that we do work together for good to accomplish His purposes. He does not force us to do those things. He just makes those things beautiful and make them work out for His, his will and His glory. Now, you say, how do we know that this is not dealing with salvation? Well, let's look at verse number 1 of chapter 8. The whole theme and the whole thrust of chapter number 8 is a, an issue of sanctification, not salvation. Look with me in verse 8. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the what? Flesh, but after the Spirit. We see three things here. First of all, it is, it is addressed to them which are in Christ Jesus, those that are saved. And it tells them that they are not to walk after the flesh, but they are to walk after the Spirit. This is not dealing with salvation. This is dealing with our growth and our sanctification in the Christian life. That we are to becoming more, become, be becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, verse number 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Not the righteousness of God. This is dealing with works. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So he's dealing here with our righteous living, not our salvation. You'll find as you go down on through the rest of this chapter that that holds true all the way down through verse 28, verse 29. Now I want you to notice also as we get to verse 29, keeping this in mind, for whom he did foreknow, did he know who would be saved? He knew those of us that were going to choose to be saved. Did he determine which of us were going to have that faith in him? No, he did not. He gave us the choice. But he did foreknow. He did know who would choose him and who would not. For those that he foreknew, the Bible tells us here in verse number time, for whom he, verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now, this is not dealing with the person. It's dealing with the results of our choice to, to put our faith in him. He, at the beginning of the world, those that would put their faith in Him, He predestinated those to be conformed, once they were saved, 
to the image of His Son. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses this word conformed. He does not use the word transformed. In, in Romans chapter number 12, the Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the difference is this. Uh, the um, uh, the uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary, let me see if I've got the, I wrote it down here. Wrote, I want to quote it verbatim. It actually uses this passage, uh, Romans 8, 29, and, 20, and 29 and 30. It actually uses this passage in reference to the definition it gives for the word conform, meaning this is the usage of that word. And their definition of it is this, to reduce to a likeness or correspondence in manners, opinions, or moral qualities. Unlike the transforming inward work of salvation, this is referring to the conforming outward work of sanctification in an existing believer. So the predestination is not for people to be saved or not to be saved. The predestination is that we live holy once we are saved. That's what God chose. That's what He predestinated those that He elected to save by their faith in Him. Their choice to, to put their faith in Him. This is what He's chosen to do for them. This is the destiny that He's given to them, the destination. This is the product of their faith. It is to be worked out in them. And He established this before the very foundation of the world. Now, let's look at a couple of things here. He's writing, uh, let's go to uh, another uh, passage that is oftentimes misused in understanding this, that some people will say, aha, we got the aha verse here. (laughs) Ephesians chapter number uh, 1, if you will. Ephesians chapter 1. All right, so, so let's come back and I want to summarize real quick. Last week we dealt with the idea that God... Made it, he, he decided, he made the choice before he ever started uh, creating the world, that when man fell into sin, he was going to make a plan of redemption. And he was going to offer a gift to man. And those that would, would put their faith and accept that gift that he gave them, that he would save those. Those were the ones he was going to save. And it's available to every single one of them. He does not determine who gets to make that choice. What Calvinism will say is, God determines who gets that faith and who doesn't. What the Bible teaches is, whosoever will may come. But those are the ones He saves. He does not save those that don't put their faith in Him. He does not save those that reject Him. He also predestinated those that would put their faith in Him to be conformed to the image of His Son. To live in such a way that it reflects outwardly the uh, morals, the character of God, and that that be lived out in us. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter number 1. And uh, let's go to, we'll start in verse 1, we'll read down through about verse number 5. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus. Now, who's he writing to? He's writing to the saints that are at Ephesus, those that have trusted Christ as their Savior. So he's not speaking to the lost here. He's writing to the saints, which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love 
having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. And the Calvinists would say, aha, there it is. Verse number 4, He chose us before the foundation of the world, that we would be in Him without blame and holy before Him in love, and that we would be predestinated to be adopted as a child of God, and that that is proof text that God picks and chooses. The problem with that is it contradicts other Scripture. That cannot be the understanding of it because it is in contrast with other Scripture. So if that's not what it means, what does it mean? Again, we're dealing with the issue of God making a choice before the foundation of the world. I don't think we have to disagree on that point. I think we can understand. Certainly, before God created the world, He made this decision. It's not something He waited till man fell, or Adam fell, to say, Oops, I, I messed up here. Let's, let's decide something here. He already had it in place. It was going to happen. Now, notice what the Bible tells us here in verse number 4. It says, According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, again, writing to the saints... That we, who's he speaking of? Those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Sounds like sanctification again to me, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like salvation. Now notice what else he says here in verse number 5. Again, keeping in mind the word or the term elect is dealing with the people. The word, the idea of predestination dealing with the results of that faith that those people have put in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this accomplished in them? These things were established also before the foundation world. These things were things God said, when they put their faith in me, this is what it will accomplish. Look what he says, verse, five, verse number 5. Having predestinated who? The, the unsaved? No. Having predestinated us, who? Those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made a a purpose in his heart that this is what they should be. Notice what he says here. Having predestinated us unto what? The uh, adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. You know what happens when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? We get to become a child of God. God didn't determine that. Our faith in him allows us this. And this is something he preset before the foundation of the world. That if we would put our faith in him, we could be a child of God. Now, notice what the Bible says here. John chapter... Hold your place. We're going to come right back to Ephesians. But let's look in John chapter number 1. Let's make sure that we're not just pulling this out arbitrarily and making a point here without some Scripture to back it up. Let's look at John chapter number 1 and verse number 12. Very, very important in understanding this. But as many as were elected, but as many as were predetermined, as many as were already chosen? No. As many as what? Received Him. Sounds like free will to me, doesn't it? As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become what? The sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. And all that Ephesians is teaching us, and all that Paul is teaching us is, God decided that before He even created the world. That those that would believe in Him, those that would put their faith in Him, would be able to be His children. Now, come back to Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment. Because we're also going to find 
the context of chapter 1 teaches the same thing. Look with me in verse number 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. In other words, he just, this was what God wanted to do. And he did it before the foundation of the world to, to make this possible for sinful man. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Why did he do it? So that he could be praised for the grace that he extended to man. Wherein he hath made us accepted in the, in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Again, he, he keeps using the word we here. Who is he speaking with? Those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. Is it something we did? No, it's something he did for us. And we receive it by faith. You say, where does it teach that in Ephesians? We're getting ready to see it here. Hang with us. In verse number 8, he says, Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. What was his will? The will that he had that is spoken of here in verse number 5. According to the good pleasure of his will. Now he's made known to us this mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Nobody counseled God. Nobody twisted his arm. Nobody said, you've got to make a way of salvation. This was his doing. To look down at a man in the Garden of Eden who disobeyed, who sinned, and became despicable in the eyes of God regarding his sinful nature. And God looked down and said, but I love him. And I want to make a way for him. He did that of his own free will. Now notice what it says here in verse number 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom, we, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. If you have a pen, you ought to underline that phrase. We have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated, again, speaking of those that have, have, have their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been predestinated to become the sons of God, we have been predestinated to receive an inheritance because of our faith. Notice in verse number 11 that it was because of this, uh, or we've received, obtained this inheritance. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And so far, you'd read that verse and you say, boy, that sure sounds like God just chose. Sounds like he's just dictating all of this. But wait a minute. We've got to keep reading. <laughs> and this is where a lot of the Calvinists will stop reading. Look what it says in verse 12. That we should be to the praise, that we, those of us that put our faith in Him, should be to the praise of His glory, who first, what? Trusted Christ. That happened first. We first trusted Christ, and then these things were given to us. Why? Because God had chosen these things before the beginning of the world to give them to those that had put their faith in Him. Very easily understood. And whom also... Uh, whom also ye trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth. And so, it's almost like God knew the Calvinists were going to teach. Well, yes, it is salvation by faith, but God's the one that gives you the faith because you can't even get faith without with being dead in your trespasses and sin. But notice where Paul says the faith comes from. Verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, where? Or when? After that, ye heard the word of truth. Sounds like you heard some preaching. <laughs> You heard the gospel story, 
and you had faith in it. You put your faith in it, your trust in it. The gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our, what? Inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Them He did foreknow, them He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Before the foundation of the world, those that got saved were to be like Christ. He teaches us in the book of Ephesians that according to His will, He predestinated that those who would by faith of their own free will, by faith in, in Him, were going to be able to be His children. They were going to receive an inheritance and they were to live holy. Predestination is not difficult when you understand what it is that we're predestinated to and who it's written to. God does not predetermine man that some will be saved and some will not. The reason we know that is because every other portion of Scripture dealing with salvation says, Whosoever will. Whosoever will. He that believeth on me. He talks about the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. He talks over and over and over again the importance and the urgency of reaching those that are lost with the gospel message before it's too late. He speaks of the fact that the length of time that he has given since his crucifixion till this present day is simply because of his grace and desire for more to be saved. If God gave unconditional atonement, if He gave, if he gave irresistible grace to people, He wouldn't have had to give long-suffering. He could have saved them, all the ones He was going to save, and we'd have been out of here a long time ago. Be careful when you hear people start talking about this idea of election. God did make a choice, but it's not the choice they say it was. It was simply a choice to give man the free will to determine for himself whether to put their faith in him or not. That was the choice God made. And having done that, he says, now those that have done that, I've predestinated them to be a certain way. They're to be my child, they're to receive an inheritance, and they're to live holy. And that is our, our claim that is what we get, the promise that God has given to us, having put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, keep that all in mind, and don't forget it between now and next Wednesday, because next Wednesday I want to deal with the issue or the subject of the hardening of the hearts. And that does happen in Scripture, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And so you've got to remember tonight's lesson is vitally important, or you're not going to be able to tie all the, the, the dots together on the uh, hardening of the heart next week. So keep this in mind. And uh, I hope that will be a help to you. I've tried to be as clear on it as I can. I think the Bible, once you understand it and you see it, it's very clear in Scripture. It's not difficult to understand at all, nor is it difficult to explain. But it's hard sometimes people uh, want to read into it things that uh, they have a preconceived idea of already. So I uh, hope that will be a help to you. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word and how it so fitly is put together how that it does not contradict, it does not uh, conflict with itself. 
And so, Father, we're able to come to what some people and, and what we would look at in, in human eyes and say, <clears throat> these are, are hard topics, <clears throat> hard 